0: Have you ever wondered about the quality of the air in your home? Take a deep breath and say hello to the new Ecobee Smart Thermostat Premium. Ecobee has revolutionized the thermostat as a tool for your overall home health by building an air quality monitor right into the device. If it senses poor air quality, it will alert you and even provide tips on how to improve so you can keep your home at its healthiest. But with Ecobee, air quality monitoring is just the beginning. Learn more and be amazed at ecobee.com
1: this is salt and spine
2: we taught each other not just cooking skills but we we just shared stories recipe developing when anyone that does this from home like it can be a very lonely and isolating experience and i think it made it made me feel so good that i had a partner to do that with
1: Hi there, Brian Hogan Stewart, host of Salt and Spine here. This is part two of our two-part episode on Food Between Friends, the new cookbook by actor Jesse Tyler Ferguson and food writer Julie Tannis. If you haven't yet listened to part one, that's our conversation with Jesse, I suggest you start there and then come back and hear from Julie. Now, Julie Tannis grew up in Coleman, Alabama, and eventually found her way to culinary school and working in food media. In our chat today, I talk with Julie about her southern upbringing, what led her to a career in food, and how a chance meeting resulted in her close friendship with actor Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Once that friendship took root, it wasn't long before a food blog and now a cookbook followed. Julie shares her side of the story with me, her favorite recipes, how the book came together, and what she's learned from Jesse in the kitchen. Plus, of course, we're putting Julie to test in our culinary game. So let's jump in right now for part two of our conversation on food between friends with author Julie Tannis. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm such a fan. I'm so excited to be talking with you.
1: It's awesome. that We're so glad to have you. And um, we just talked to Jesse, and now we're talking to you about your your new joint cookbook. So I'm thrilled that we're able to talk with both of you and hear a little bit from each of your perspectives about how this book came together. But we always like to start by learning a little bit more about who we're talking to. So I wanted to talk a little bit about you first and your career and the role that food has played in your life, so I know you grew up in Coleman, Alabama. Am I saying it right?
2: You are. You know, my okay. ninth grade speech teacher would make us go around the room, and she would go, Cole, Coleman." No one can <laughs> see me, but she would make us do our shape our mouths so that we enunciated it correctly. It's not Coleman, like the computer, uh, the uh, cooler.
1: Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, great. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the role that food played in your your life growing up. I know you mentioned, there's a few sort of mentions in the book and little vignettes of like trimming green beans reminds you of your grandmother and you have a, a great aunt, Maddie Moody, I think is is your great aunt's name. So can <laughs> yes. you tell us a little bit about the role that food played in your life as a kid and some of those memories that you have?
2: Sure. Um you are correct. I grew up in Coleman, Alabama. And, you know, I actually didn't grow up cooking. I was, I think part of me was intimidated to even try it because I had so many amazing chefs, mainly women in my family, like my great aunt Maddie Moody. There's a, a list of amazing names other than Maddie Moody too. <laughs>
1: it's a great <laughs> um, name. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so yeah, my Aunt Irma. Um I have a Moselle. All, all these women, you know, were just extraordinary cooks. So I thought how I can't compete with these women. And I also just love to eat their food. And I was usually chewed out of the kitchen and wasn't allowed in the kitchen. Uh-huh. Um, so I didn't grow up cooking, but I love to eat. And food was such a big part of, of my family. And I have a huge family. You know, it was every family get together was like a potluck. And so just a spread of food. And it was, there was a lot of fellowship and love. And my mom was, you know, she was a working woman. She had an office job like eight Uh to six every day. So she, a lot of the recipes that she cooked were, um, you know, she's a good cook, but it was the packaged spaghetti sauce that you just added water and tomato paste to, or you know, I definitely had some lean cuisines, um, the same baked yep. chicken over and over. But we, you know, we would vacation in Florida and I always, my family always laughed about what I would order on the menu when, when we went out to eat, I would usually order the most expensive thing
1: or, <laughs> yeah,
2: or the dish that like no other kid was eating, you know, like right. um, grilled amber, blackened amberjack or grouper, which uh, we ha- actually have that in our cookbook and my aunt Paula taught me how to shuck oysters when I was like six years old. So I didn't grow up cooking, but I loved to eat. And I, I think there was part of me that also, you know, this was in the early eighties. I, I think, uh, I felt like I wouldn't be taken seriously as a woman in the kitchen. So I needed to go to college and get a degree and put on a power suit to be taken seriously. In uh, uh-huh the world. And um, so after I graduated college, I did go, I went to the University of Alabama and I moved the day after I graduated, I moved to Washington, DC to work. And I thought I wanted to do politics and PR that didn't, you know, I I think I just was, I didn't want to waste this college degree or my parents' money. (laughs) So I stayed in it and tell me if I'm jumping ahead of myself, but then I moved to New York to shift over into the music industry. And so I was doing a little bit of publicity in music. And um, then I could keep going and tell you how I I got into food. But that was sort of my upbringing. Um, Not really cooking, but just eating a lot and eating everything. And there isn't a food that I don't like. Uh-huh. Uh You know, I wasn't the kid who just ordered chicken fingers.
1: <laughs> right, right. That's great. Yeah, an, an adventurous eater as a kid, always a, mm-hmm. a good, good thing. So you, you said you weren't so sure if there was a place for you working in kitchens as a woman. So, is this like in high school, college? Like, were you starting to have an inkling that maybe food was a passion of yours at that point, even though you didn't, you know, grow up cooking a ton?
2: Um I didn't even think about it you know and growing okay. up in Alabama you would go to school to be a lawyer a doctor you know I didn't know about all these opportunities in the culinary world that just sure. um and even even when I went to culinary school and finished I still think it was you worked in a restaurant you could work in media like at a magazine or you could be a private chef and opportunities for especially women um, that opportunities have changed so much We food is merging with other cultures and, and business opportunities. And so it's so different now, but when I was growing up, I didn't even, I just thought the only job in food was to be a chef in a restaurant, which mm-hmm. did not appeal to me at all. I think it takes, um, I think restaurant chefs are driven and motivated in a different way that I am with food. Sure, And it's, it's rough hours. Yeah, I was night, waitress weekend, for a while. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I just didn't even consider it. And I also, again, growing up in Alabama, I wasn't exposed to a lot of, uh, I want to say good food because I had delicious food. But I, you know, it wasn't until I moved to New York that I, you know, had the best Chinese food two blocks away from me and the best sushi and, you know, my husband's a New Yorker. When I met him, I was introduced to all of these different food cultures and just became obsessed with it and obsessed with learning how to cook it. And, um, you know, probably for two years, I took a lot of recreational cooking classes and was reading every food magazine and every cookbook. And I just, I wanted to cook and eat all the time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and then that's when you decided to make the leap. Then after a few years of that, and just decided I'm gonna. You were working in music at the time, music publicity, right? Decided I'm gonna make the jump and and enroll in culinary school.
2: Yeah, and I, you know, I just was never fulfilled in that role, and I've discovered that that's for me. You know, I never considered myself to be a creative person until now, and now I'm a little bit more confident. I'm I am a creative person. And I I don't think I'm meant to be behind a computer all day. And so, yeah, for about a year, I was taking recreational cooking classes at at ICE, the Institute of Culinary Education, the Uh French Culinary Institute, Haven's Kitchen, like wherever I could find a class, I was taking it. Um, And then my mentor slash spiritual advisor, we met for a drink one night and he's he's the one that really got me to see that it's that it was the food that I loved and creating. And I, th- I think I had a hard time having worked in publicity and been on the back end and helping artists. It was really hard for me to think about, now I'm going to go to culinary school and become the artist. Not that I'm an artist, but you know, just to be on the other side of that was terrifying for me. But at the same time, that's the part I loved, You know, was cooking and creating and feeding people, really. And I, you know, once I started culinary school, it was the happiest I've been in so long. I nerded out. I scored like a 100 on every test on Uh graduation night. I was voted most likely to succeed.
1: Oh, good. (laughs) Um, Yeah.
2: yeah, So I just, I could have stayed in culinary school for, for years. It was, you know, I definitely don't think you need to go to culinary school to become a food professional. But for me, I... I wanted to, and I felt like I needed, you know, that was the best way I could learn.
1: Yeah, I think I saw a photo of you in culinary school, I think either in the book, or as I was researching, maybe from your graduation, and you're, you're beaming, uh-huh. like, I think we can just see how, like, fulfilled you are in that moment.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, it was amazing. And then, you know, what else? The other thing that was really interesting about it was, I was in a class, I, it was a small class, it was probably 10, 12 of us, And there were women in there who had children. There were, you know, I remember um, this one guy in my class who I adored. His name was Ricky and he was from Honduras and he was like 20 years old. And then my other friend, uh, Zara, was a mom of three who was older than me and older than a lot of our chef instructors. And so just the diversity of the class was amazing. It wasn't a lot of the same, it wasn't a lot of Julie's, you know, and I loved, I loved that about culinary school.
1: So you graduate culinary school Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure about the timeline here, but you go on to do a number of different food, food (laughs) roles, right? You work in food media for a little bit at Sevora magazine. I know you do some Mm -hmm. private chefing and some catering. What sort of did your career path look like after culinary school? And when did you sort of realize that, how did you sort of carve out a career path that, that brought together what you were particularly interested in and brings us to this cookbook Um, today?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Still. (laughs) Still figuring out that path, but um, sure. <laughs> yeah.
1: while,
2: while I was in culinary school, I started to explore different options. So I actually worked in a butcher shop, um, okay, Dixon's in Chelsea Market. So I would leave culinary school every day. I would go to the butcher shop, and a lot of these jobs I was doing for free or, or, or as like an internship. But I just wanted the uh-huh. experience, so I worked in a butcher shop for a little while. I would I would come home. Covered in blood. My dog <laughs> loved me, would like <laughs> jump up on me. I had to leave my clogs outside, outside yeah. our New York apartment. Yeah. Um, it was like, a. my husband said, it's like a scene out of, so I married an axe murder. <laughs> so like, yeah. Double wash those bloody clothes. So I, yeah, I tried that. I staged at some restaurants. Um, I was at Sever. And then my husband actually had a job offer in LA, which is what brought us to California. Uh-huh. I didn't know anyone here. You know, I had a couple of friends, but they didn't work in food. So I started private chefing and I, I worked with this company called the Colonistas. I don't know if you're familiar, but it was like an at home. You would go into someone's kitchen and prepare food and leave it in their fridge with reheating instructions. And through that, I would meet clients that would hire me as a private chef and caterer. So I did that when we first moved to LA. Um, And then I got pregnant. And the first cookbook I worked on was um, Jill Donnenfeld's book. She she started the colonistas and she wrote better on toast. And Uh I remember being pregnant and (laughs) there were so many, I could not, I had the hardest time developing recipes and testing because I was just on the verge of, Vomiting <laughs> every minute, right, right. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I had a tough view, Like the first trimester was really tough, so I got a little, you know, I was kind of down. Like, oh my god, I'm never gonna figure out. I'm, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I, I want to throw up every time I even go to cook. So it was, it was a tough transition. And L A is so huge and so spread out. Um, sure. And again, the only jobs I really knew of were restaurant chefs or catering or, you know, private chefing until I met Jesse. (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, now I can say that the cookbook writing and the the entire process of making a cookbook is I love it. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. It's, you know, takes roughly two years start to finish to create a book. It is really, really hard, but I love it. And I just loved every step of the process.
1: So we talked a little bit to Jesse about how you two met, but I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit more about the connection that you had, because I think it's so unique to meet a stranger and to bond so quickly over food that you're like cooking together Like right away. Uh, It's a pretty intimate thing to cook with someone. Like you were just kind of, you were that compatible right off the bat. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It is crazy. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've read the story. You know, Uh Jesse probably told you the story too. But yeah, I went to this dinner party alone, um, which was terrifying. And I was still suffering from postpartum depression a little bit. So it was. Just really hard to leave the house, and my husband sort of yeah. encouraged me to just go go to this party. Um, so we got there, and I'm like, I'm going to sit by the exit sign because I don't want to. I, I just want to be able to leave if I need to. Sure. And Jesse also sat by the exit sign, and there was this empty chair, and like no one was sitting by the celebrity. So I had to. Damn it! I'm going to have to sit. <laughs> I'm going to have to sit here. What am I going to say to these people? Yeah. Um, and I I cracked a joke about. That I had it, the the dinner was put on by this group, the Spring Street Social Society, which no longer exists. But I made the joke. I've renamed this dinner the Spring Street Social Anxiety, and Jesse <laughs> laughed so hard. Um, and then he ended up moving his chair at traded places with his husband to come sit by me. And I um, had had a couple of glasses of wine and started to tell Jesse about this cookbook idea I had. Not. Food Between Friends. It was like another cookbook.
1: Uh And
2: he loved it so much. But I'm like, why did I start telling Jesse about, I don't even know this guy. Why am I telling him about this cookbook idea? He could run off with it. Um, (laughs) We ended up exchanging numbers. And I got home that night. I crawled into bed and my husband was asleep. And I was like, well, I have Jesse Tyler Ferguson's info in my phone, like his home address, his birthday, like everything I could have stolen (laughs) his identity. Um, so there was clearly instant trust between us. Um, and the next day it was kind of funny too, because we'd agreed like, let's stay in touch. He was really interested and it was, it was like meeting someone for the first time. Like if you're dating and, or you're starting to date and you meet someone and I didn't know what the rules were. Like, do I wait a day or do I call him? Do I wait on him to call me? (laughs) Um, He FaceTimed me the next day. Jesse and I are very similar. We don't like texting. We love to talk on the phone and Uh FaceTime. And I appreciated that so much that he FaceTimed me the next day. Um, We're, we're like 20 years older than we actually are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like a grandpa and a grandma. Um, and he'd already set up a meeting with his agent. So I'm like, Oh my God. So we go to meet with her and she wisely said, I think you two should spend some time cooking together. Like this, this idea feels like Julie's idea that Jesse's curated. And I think you sure. should spend some time in the kitchen together and see what happens. So we did and we had a blast and we, cooked some really delicious things. We started posting pictures on Instagram and people started asking for the recipes. So we thought, I, I guess we'll start a blog. Is that what you do? I don't, you know, Uh um, we, I wouldn't call us food bloggers because that is, that is a business. And, um, this was just more of, you know, online journaling. Here's some recipes, but we got such positive feedback and we, whenever people saw videos of us together in the kitchen, none of it was ever scripted or staged. Like it's genuinely who we are. So we realized we had really great chemistry and other people did too. And Clarkson Potter caught that and, um, thought the same thing. So that I think, was, you know, when they wanted to meet with us, gave us like the the confidence boost that we needed.
1: What a gift to meet someone that you're so compatible with in so many I ways, not just from food, but as friends too. And you also have different backgrounds, right? Because you went to culinary mm-hmm. school, you're professionally trained in that sense. Jesse, I know has said he didn't, but always kind of hoped that he would or wished that he could have gone to culinary school what did your relationship then do for each other? Like we talked a little bit to Jesse about what he learned from you. He, one of the things he said is, you know, flexibility in a recipe and that you can adapt Mm -hmm. and tweak and (laughs) it's not so rigid, but can you talk about what you sort of taught each other as you started to cook alongside?
2: Yeah. I mean, Jesse, when we first started cooking, like he, he was already an avid home cook and and he cooked a lot. So, and he, he also, I, you know, think, going back to how I was before I started culinary school, Jesse was reading cookbooks and collected cookbooks. And he was really good in the kitchen and very organized. And it was so fun for me to sort of dip back into my culinary uh, school days and talk to him about the importance of mise en place and how to chop an onion. And, and, you know, I also appreciated, I felt like because I had been doing it for so long, I could take shortcuts. Like I'm going to go buy the pre-peeled garlic and I'm going to uh-huh. use a garlic press. And Jesse would, I mean, one recipe we made with pistachios and he bought like the shelled pistachios and he's over there like <laughs> picking all the shells off. Um, so I really appreciated his, how organized he was in the kitchen and how eager he was to learn. And so that was, and then of course we got into him teaching me about, you know, his favorite dishes growing up in New Mexico on hatch green chilies and I was able to introduce him to some of, you know, sorghum syrup and and even chefs like some of my favorite chefs um from the South. So we we taught each other not just cooking skills, but we we just shared stories. And it was also, I think, for me, a boost of confidence to we laugh that we're codependent on each other in the kitchen we're both uh-huh. Libras and a little bit and decisive. And okay, I think being yeah. together helped us to become more decisive. <laughs> um, uh, sure, and, you know, cooking can can be recipe developing when anyone that does this from home, like it can be a very lonely and isolating experience. And I think it made it made me feel so good that I had a partner and to do that with, you know, and I I do love, I I do love cooking alone and developing alone and I go through phases, but it was also just nice to do that with someone. And I'm much more of a team player. Like I like to collaborate with people more than just working on my own. So it, it was just like a perfect match.
1: Yeah. And I love that you mentioned sorghum because there's the recipes in the book are so really inspired by both of your lives. I mean, your, your Southern roots, Jesse's New Mexico roots, your, your childhoods, dishes that your families have made. Um, You also both write a little bit about ingredients that are meaningful to you. And you wrote about sorghum as well as biscuits Mm -hmm. and other things, but the sorghum one, I really appreciated. You talk about your dad and and how his family actually grew their own sorghum. Um, yeah, when when he was growing up. And I have to admit that I have never cooked with sorghum. I've never used sorghum. No I'm one hoping has. you can tell us a little. I know. I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about it and 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 pitch us on it and share your ode to sorghum a bit here oh, too. Oh
2: yeah, I am on a mission. I a sorghum syrup campaign. I, I
1: uh-huh. just
2: think it would you know, I think it would do so well in like Whole Foods or even an air one, it would probably be marked up. But
0: yeah. um,
2: So growing up, we would on weekends drive to Tennessee, we had family in Kentucky and Tennessee, and we would go visit a lot of the Amish communities. And my mom and my aunt also did a lot of canning. So many ingredients in my house were, you know, my mom and my aunt's like, pickled things or their green beans. And then we would we would go to these Amish communities and we would buy sorghum syrup. And I didn't know anything about it. My dad would just drizzle it on a hot buttered biscuit. Um, uh-huh. And it, it's delicious. It's got... Someone recently described it. Oh, Ellen Bennett and I did a cooking thing. And she she described it as like almost like a fermented... Similar to molasses. Um, but it's got uh-huh. this like robust kind of tang and sweetness to it, but it comes from the grain, which you can cook sorghum grain. You can even pop it, which I've done. And it's like, makes mini popcorn. Um, and so it, it's a grain and the, the stalks are then the way my dad described it. The stalks are taken to a mill and they're pressed through these two cylinders. And then they boil the juice and that creates sorghum syrup. And it's actually really high in potassium. I think a oh. tablespoon is like the equivalent to the potassium in a banana. Okay. So it's, and it's healthier than, it's very different than molasses or, you know, any sweetener that comes from cane sugar. So it's a little bit healthier. And I think cooking with it adds... I can't think of another word other than umami because of that uh-huh. fermented tanginess that's also a little sweet, like it's delicious in baked goods, it's delicious and savory. and for me, writing this cookbook and having my dad see these recipes and taste them and use sorghum that in ways that he didn't even know you could do, you know he was impressed and sure. excited um to use them so I I really hope people. I don't, you know, I don't think there are many companies. I know you can get it on Amazon. Muddy Pond is the one I usually order. um, Okay. And you can get it next day if you have Amazon Prime. But growing up, we just had these like unmarked bottles of sorghum syrup. And I remember as a little girl being a little bit embarrassed, like at the ingredients we had in our pantry, because all my friends had Pop Tarts and (laughs) right. Maple syrup and stuff. And then you come to my house and we had these weird things that were grown on our farm and no one had heard of it. And now it's been so nice to revisit that and bring it to life. And, you know, for my family to see all these recipes too.
1: Yeah, I'm sure if there's one thing I take away from your book, it's going to be that I'm going to try some sorghum recipes next.
2: (laughs) One of my uh, joy cho got the book and she texted me, she goes, she got like a, you know, we sent her a little VIP with the book and sure. uh, an apron and a bottle of sorghum syrup. And she goes, I'm embarrassed to ask, but what is this? And I said, I'm so <laughs> glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> read, read my love letter on page, whatever it is.
1: Right. Um,
2: So I hope people cook with it. I, you know, Sean Brock and all these amazing chefs use it in their restaurant, but I think it's really not been used in just like home cooking and yeah. so I was, I'm excited for people to see how to use it in everyday easy recipes.
1: Yeah, and, and in the book you have these love letters like the one to sorghum and and you have one to biscuits. Jesse also has, you know, an essay on chiles and, and in mm-hmm. New Mexico cuisine. How did you sort of balance working on a book that really has both of your perspectives and both of your culinary identities like so twined intertwined? together, but also sort of flows so seamlessly, right? I mean, obviously, we we talked to Jesse a little bit about often celebrities say, I want to write a cookbook, <laughs> let me get a, a recipe developer, let me get a writer to yeah. come help me, but it's their cookbook. This is so unique in the sense that it's really both of your cookbooks. What was that yeah. process like to have both of your voices represented that way?
2: Well, the way it turned out, you know, it, when we were in the process, we weren't quite sure, especially with the writing we didn't want every head note to be we love this recipe cuz we 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 us us you know we wanted it to feel conversational because that's what it was it's us sharing these stories ingredients recipes and the way it turned out we're each sort of taking ownership even though we developed all of them together and wrote together but we loved how it turned out that it feels conversational and not that we're the Lennon and McCartney of cooking. <laughs> I wish we were that good. But it really is like some of the recipes are more Julie and some are more Jesse. And, you right. know, our, our editor, Francis Lamb was vital in and helping make that happen. And we're so proud of how it turned out.
1: We'll be right back with the second part of our conversation with Julie Tannis. Don't go anywhere. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Salt and Spine. This week, you'll find a chance to win your own copy of Food Between Friends by Jesse Tyler Ferguson and Julie Tannis. You'll also find featured recipes from the book. Each week, we love sitting down with another of your and my favorite cookbook authors to tell the stories behind cookbooks. From Jacques Pepin and Nigella Lawson to Samin Nostrat and Carla Hall to today's guests, Jesse Tyler Ferguson and Julie Tanis, Salt and Spine is the leading podcast featuring interviews with your favorite authors. Plus, we publish delicious and exclusive recipes, hold cookbook giveaways for listeners like you, and so much more. Plus, the Salt and Spine Cookbook Club, where we cook along with one of our favorite authors each season salt and spine truly brings cookbooks to life and we can only do it thanks to listeners like you you can join the salt and spine community today and support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content starting at just two dollars a month find out more and join the salt and spine community at patreon.com backslash salt and spine.
0: who isn't looking for ways to save a little more money at home Say hello to Ecobee and two brand new thermostats, Ecobee Smart Thermostat Premium and Ecobee Smart Thermostat Enhanced. Energy Star certified Ecobee thermostats can save you up to 26% per year on heating or cooling costs. So stop wasting money on heating and cooling an empty home and start using a thermostat that automatically finds savings like magic. And with Ecobee, saving energy is just the beginning. Learn more and be amazed at Ecobee.com.
1: And now back to our conversation with Julie Tannis, author of Food Between Friends. This is a loaded question because I know you you have two kids now, Josephine and Henry, (laughs) and I would never ask you to choose one of them. But do you have favorite recipes? (laughs) People always say that's like asking me to pick a favorite kid. (laughs) And so I I feel for that. Yeah.
2: Well, I do love the garlicky sorghum chicken stir fry because I, I think it's an easy weeknight meal. It uses sorghum syrup. It's one of Jesse and his husband's favorite dishes. I also really love that I was able to do the braised collard greens, which was on rotation growing up in my family. It's one of my dad's favorite meals. And take the pot liquor and then use it as a marinade with the swordfish or anything. And so that's a favorite. Um, I, I love the entire dessert. I I can't. I don't know. It's so hard. It really depends on the I
1: know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) They're all so great. Yeah, that's such a loaded question.
2: I'll tell you, my kid's favorite recipe is the yellow cake with the chocolate frosting.
1: Uh, Okay, yeah, that's a great one. Well, we're a show on cookbooks, as you know, so I have to ask, there's a cookbook that is mentioned in your book, and there's a picture of it, too, called Treasures from Heaven, which is a community cookbook, I think, from the First United Methodist Church in Coleman. Yes. And there's a recipe for Tammy's squash. I'm wondering, one, if you can tell us what that cookbook means to you to feature it so prominently, and two, have you found Tammy? we're dying to know. I've
2: not I'm I'm looking for Tammy. I haven't found okay. her. Okay. Um yeah, it's one of those cookbooks. I have a few of them, but that one in particular, my mom would just mail me these old cookbooks she had. It's it's a spiral bound. You can you know, you can see the picture. And when she sent it to me, the press release, press release, like sure. if we'll call it that, uh <laughs> it was folded up in front and just reading the reading how they pitched it to the Coleman times was so sweet and also funny, but all is, the this, recipes,
1: a mo- is this modern or is this, what era is this book published?
2: Oh, probably eighties, eighties. 80s, okay. Yeah, probably the eighties. Um, yeah. Sure. I'll have to check. And the cover also is that it's like a deep rose mauve color, you know, uh-huh. and all the recipes in the book seem to be named after Women. So it's like, you know, Glenda's right. hamburger delight.
0: Uh-huh, and yeah.
2: then, or, and it's, it's, you look at what it is and it's a can of everything's from a can.
1: Right. You know, right. Cream um, of this and cream of that.
2: <laughs> cream. Exactly. And one of my friends that I grew up with came to visit and we spent time in the kitchen cooking some of these recipes and it was Tammy's party squash is one of them. But I just, I love the name Tammy's party squash. Like, yeah, sign me up party squash
1: (laughs) yeah exactly i grew up with party potatoes but no party squash in my family
2: Oh, what are party potatoes
1: party i feel like they're also probably from a community church cookbook of some sort but it's basically mashed potatoes that are loaded with like a whole container of sour cream a whole stick of cream cheese like grated cheese on top and then baked it is a party you you kind of you don't want to go to a party afterwards you just want to like curl up in a ball after eating them but (laughs) some people call them funeral potatoes too i think in the midwest but yeah um yeah
2: we also had a lot of there are a lot of recipes with ritz cracker the topping is ritz crackers butter and poppy seeds Uh Just throw it on anything over some cheese and chicken.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's also a party. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's a a fun book that we a fun cookbook that we get to see within your cookbook. But I'm wondering if there are other books or authors who have been influential to you over the course of your career.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. In fact, I was going to tell you I meant to say during the writing of our cookbook when I would have writer's block and I was just in a creative rut, I would listen to your podcast
1: to just
2: get the creative juices going again. And, um, you know, like Carla Hall, I am a huge fan of Carla Hall and, um, Tony Tipton Martin also, but I'm also a big, you know, Sean Brock. I'm a huge admirer of him. And of course, Edna Lewis and Frank who is actually from my hometown of Coleman, successful chef in Birmingham. So yeah, those definitely those. I Jesse and I are also big fans of our she's a friend, Sarah Carey, who I don't know if you know Sarah, she works for Martha Stewart. Sorry. But okay. her even on Instagram, like her photos of food, we really appreciated that they weren't overstyled and they just were, they looked real. And so when we wrote the cookbook and we were talking about photography, we wanted the photos to be beautiful, but we didn't want them to, to be overly styled or too, too precious or too pretty, you know? And and in fact, on set, they ate, they planned the day they would eat everything that they cooked. So people always ask me like, do they put fake spray it with fake stuff and you know right. fake grill marks. I'm like, no, they made everything in that they fed themselves all day for a week with our cookbook. And that was yeah. so fun to get that feedback, you know,
1: that's awesome. But
2: yeah, I, I, there's a lot of Southern chefs that are, I admire and we're big influences.
1: Well, we always end with a little game. So I had Jesse play the same game. I'm going to have you play as well. Um, oh no, folks will get this to hear one how you. Makes me nervous. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll be fine. <laughs> I think.
2: <laughs> In culinary school, our test would be like you know on chopped the mystery baskets. Uh huh. That's what our test would be after each semester, um, and it was always terrifying to me because
1: like, oh my god, I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I hope I'm not going to give you too much PTSD, then, (laughs) because this is sort of a similar concept. (laughs) But we're going to make it fun. And there's no grades, of course, here. So Uh, everybody is a winner. Um, But we're going to pretend that you and Jesse are, you know, cooking together. And Jesse says, Okay, I'll take lunch. But like, I need you to make dinner for us tonight. And Mm -hmm. of course, we're in a pandemic, right? So we're getting some groceries delivered the delivery isn't quite what we expect. They're out of all sorts oh, of things. They stub things that in. That happens. <laughs> happens. That happens a, a lot. lot. <laughs> yep. So what we have um, to work with is maybe not what we planned. So we have four stacks of cards here with different categories. Okay. I'll draw one from each and that'll be your little chopped basket of what you can work okay. with. Um, okay. And then you can tell us what you might make Jesse for dinner um, from that. Okay. All right. We'll start easy with vegetable. Okay, cucumber is our vegetable. Okay. Oh, those let's are cute a- cards. I know, aren't they? I can't take credit for them. It's this little card game um, it, that you actually play like chopped, sort of, but we repurposed oh. them for our show. So, I- yeah, <laughs> they work well. Uh, let's pick a protein. Okay, for protein, we have chickpeas. Okay. Flavor, which is like um, herbs, spices, flavoring agents. We have thyme. Okay. And now we have our wild card, our secret ingredient, where things can get kind of more obscure or random. So let's shuffle these and see what we end up with. Okay, we have Sichuan peppercorns.
2: Oh, okay. All
1: right. So chickpea, cucumber, thyme, and Sichuan peppercorns.
2: Oh, and it's it's got to be like a main course. Okay. Uh,
1: it doesn't have to be, I guess we have some flexibility okay. and, and you can assume you have like a, a fully stocked pantry or larder to, to pull from. So.
2: I think I am going to chop those cucumbers or maybe I'll slice them and I'm going to pickle them with the Sichuan peppercorns mm, for yeah. just like a quick, quick pickle. Um, and then I think I would take the chickpeas and I would make Maybe like a thyme hummus dip mm. and then grill some can I can I bring in a, an, an ingredient? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <'Cause> I, <laughs> I need a bread, I need a bread. Um yeah, yeah. I'm gonna grill with some pita bread that you can then dip into this thyme hummus and eat with your pickled peppered cucumbers.
1: That sounds great. That sounds delicious. A great little <laughs> starter. A little I snack, hope Jesse yeah. likes it. That's what he's having. Think, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to do one more round? That was so great. I don't want to okay. jinx it, but we'll do one more. Let's,
2: yeah, let's try one more. This is fun now. Uh,
1: okay, let's start with protein this time. Okay, we have pork. Okay. Vegetable is onion. It's a red onion, but I think we can. it can be any onion. Okay. Um, flavor... Is bay leaves. You're getting good cards today, and secret ingredient is oh tomato paste. You're getting oh, good wild okay. cards too. Mm. They're pretty pretty yeah. safe choices. So um,
2: I think I might make a relish, like finely chop the red onion and the bay leaf, and um, make like a a chutney or a relish, and then I might cut the pork into cutlets and. Mm bread them and and pan fry them what am i going to do with the tomato paste i might add a little of the tomato paste into that chutney to give it like a kind of like a new orleans vibe Mm, sure the tomato and the onion and the bay leaf and i'm going to serve that chutney with the crispy pork
1: loins. perfect all right now we have a a delicious main course and a delicious (laughs) starter for jesse so yeah hopefully he likes it (laughs) yeah (laughs)
2: I feel like Uh, that's a great cookbook idea to just mystery ingredients and then that's the recipe.
1: Yeah. I'm going to mark your words because I feel like that's a real challenge too. (laughs) If you you take that on, let us know how it goes.
2: (laughs) Here I go again, giving away my ideas.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, this was so great, Julie. Thank you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I it is an honor to chat with you. And again, I've been such a fan of your podcast for so long. And I always listen to it on my 40 minute drive to Jesse's house to his kitchen <laughs> when we cook together.
1: Oh, that's <laughs> so thank great. You, Yeah, thank you, Julie. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't listened to part one of this two part episode, that's our conversation with Jesse Tyler Ferguson, go back and listen to that now. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on our website, saltandspine.com. There you'll find featured recipes from Food Between Friends. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. You can also leave us a rating on iTunes, and join the Salt and Spine community and support our show at patreon.com. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and our producer, Clea Worster. Our kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney. The Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is typically recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen is now offering both digital and in-person classes for home cooks. You can find out more at CivicKitchenSF.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonimo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Edible San Francisco, to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books, and Monique at Hardcover Cook. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love.
0: Who isn't looking for ways to make life at home a little more comfortable? Say hello to Ecobee and two new thermostats, Ecobee Smart Thermostat Premium and Ecobee Smart Thermostat Enhanced. They're built with Ecobee's most advanced occupancy sensors ever to know when you're home and adjust the temperature accordingly. You'll swear it's magic, but really, it's just clever engineering that ensures your home's temperature stays just the way you like it. And with Ecobee, comfort is just the beginning. Learn more and be amazed at ecobee.com.